0: How many of you are thankful for the victory that you have in Jesus Christ, amen? Wasn't that a great song that we were singing earlier? I tell you, I just, uh, uh, a lot of mornings, I come in here on Sunday morning, it just seems like I'm just uh, so busy getting ready for the day, and I know a lot of the people that are serving all around, it just, it can almost seem like a work day, but just coming in here and, and just having an opportunity before I come up here and preach to just worship with you, uh, to lift up our voices in song and adoration, and just uh, just sing our praises to Jesus is so uh, is, is just. I tell you, it just really sets the stage, doesn't it? And it really prepares my heart, and I hope it prepares your heart to really hear from God this morning. And so, uh, I love that song that they were singing earlier, or we were singing earlier, just talking about the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. But it's good to see you here this morning. So excited about uh, this message today is Palm Sunday. Uh, the the Mark of of the week leading up to uh, what we would typically celebrate as Jesus's last week on this earth before he was crucified on the cross, and um, we it marks also the beginning of of the Holy Week or the Passion Week that that some would call it, and um, we've actually been walking through that week uh, of Jesus's life in this series that we have titled "But Sunday Is Coming," and so we've been walking through this and and. Uh, and, and, and it's just so exciting to be able to, to continue uh, in that study today uh, as we look at uh, another story uh, that took place during that week. We're actually today going to be looking at the crucifixion of Christ uh, as we prepare our hearts for next Sunday, which we'll be celebrating, which is the resurrection of Jesus. And so it'll be a great day for us as a church, uh, as it is always every, uh, every Easter holiday, to celebrate that truth. Um, I just want to remind you also that this coming Friday is Good Friday, and uh, we're going to have our uh, Good Friday service starting at 6 p.m., and it'll be at that service that we also participate in the Lord's Supper. It'll be uh, about 45 minutes to an hour, something like that. It won't be a very long service. It'll be much shorter than normal, but it'll be a time of and, uh, reverence and worship and participating together in the Lord's Supper, just uh, celebrating together. Uh, the the body that was broken and the blood that was spilled for the atonement of our sin, and so I want to invite you to come and be a part of that. I also, want to invite you to participate in something that we did last year that I'm going to be doing this year, and some of our staff are going to be doing this this year. But from 6 p.m. on Thursday to 6 p.m. on Friday, we're going to fast, and so we we want to invite you as a as a church to participate with us in that fast. Uh, it's a beautiful way to just declare to God that, that uh, God, I want to see something remarkable in my life and and for me, personally, last year, just fasting for that twenty four hour period leading up to the lord's Supper and then allowing that bread and that that juice to to break the fast It was a really worshipful time for me and so I want to encourage you to to think about that and to participate with with me in fasting uh, this week, starting Thursday. At 6 p.m. and going through Friday, uh, uh, 6 p.m. where we'll participate in the um, the Good Friday service, and so that's just an opportunity that we have. I think to to do that, it's maybe not something that you do regularly. It's not something that I really do enough, probably myself. And so it, it'll be a great time for us, I believe, as a church, as we as we commit to just trusting God and believing that He wants to do something spectacular in our lives and in this church. And so also after that, on Saturday, we'll have our egg hunt and then Easter Sunday, we are gonna have three services, as I mentioned last week, starting at eight o'clock, the first service. All three of these are identical. We will have our children's services as well during these three times, but we'll have our eight o'clock service. And then the only service that's changing times is our 9.15 is being changed to 9.30. It's important that we know that to give people time to kind of uh, move out from the first service. and then the 11 o'clock service, we uh, will um, be looking forward to that. And as a, as a side note also just so you know as far as the parking uh, around here, we do have um, Dr. Thacker's office has allowed us to park over there and this year Osteen Volkswagen and, and Subarus allowing us to park over there there. In fact, they're going out of their way to move their cars to the other side of the building to make way for us. And so just a special thanks to them for allowing that to happen. So don't feel as though you're violating their space. They, have, they called us and they said, we wanna do this for Cross Point Church. And so I was just very grateful for that. And so uh, I, I'm looking forward to what God wants to do next Sunday, amen? Amen. amen. So let's, uh, let's pray. And we're gonna dive into God's word together this morning. And it's gonna be an exciting time for us as we look at uh, the crucifixion Christ Jesus. So pray with me if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you, God, for your presence in this place. We thank you for your presence in our life. God, as we we live our life as believers and followers of Christ, God, you are just so faithful to always speak into our hearts, to speak into our lives, to lead us and guide us and direct us. Uh, God, to encourage us, to comfort us, and even convict us from time to time, Lord, and we, we're thankful for your presence in our life as we, as we carry out our lives each and every day, uh, Lord, just looking uh, to, to carry out your will for our life. Father, we thank you for your presence here today, and God, the work that you're gonna do in our hearts as we turn to your word, and God, we know that your word, it never returns void, and so as we proclaim your word, as we preach your word, as we teach your word, God, Lord, we know that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. And God, it has the ability to sharpen us, to equip us, to prepare us for for life and to understand more about who Jesus is. And so this morning, God, we just pray, asking that you meet us here in this place in such a special way, God, that you would meet us here and prepare us, help us to set set aside every distraction that may exist in our life that we may hear clearly from you. We love you so much and we praise you and it's in Jesus' name, amen. And so this morning, we're gonna be looking at the story of Jesus' crucifixion. The title of this message is The Crucified King. And I wanna invite you to go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Mark. That's where we've been walking through as we've looked at this week of Jesus' life. We started in Mark, and we're, we're just gonna keep on with that theme, looking uh, at what uh, Mark had to say concerning these things, and specifically today, the crucified king. At the beginning of this series, we started off with uh, really trying to gain an understanding of what Palm Sunday was all about. We talked about how it was about Jesus, his uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He is coming into Jerusalem. He is preparing himself for that final week uh, before he would go to the cross. And so the message was titled then, The Triumphal entry and we talked about the arrival of a king and so we established this truth this reality that Jesus is king he is king of kings lord of lords he is he is the savior he is the creator of the universe he is he is divine in every way and yet he's fully human and so as we we talked about that we we saw the arrival of Jesus as he came into it was moving into Jerusalem, and we begin to walk through other stories that related to Jesus' last week. And last week, we looked at where Jesus was was preparing for the work that would take place on the cross when he went to a place called Gethsemane. And it was there, it was a garden there on the Mount of Olives, uh, and, and so he, as he entered into that garden, he began to pray, and he invited his disciples to pray with him, which they had a really difficult time doing because they were so exhausted and they fell asleep three times. And so they weren't uh, as, as fervent in their prayers as Jesus was, no doubt. But, uh, but what we see is Jesus going into the Garden of Gethsemane and really preparing for what was to come. He knew it was coming. He, he knew what was uh, to be done. He knew what he had to do. And so he was preparing and we we studied how Jesus turned to the Father and he said, Father, if there's any other way, really exposing his humanity to us in that, he said, Father, if there's any other way, let it be, but not my will, your will. And so he acknowledged that, listen, I understand this is the way that that we are going. I understand this is my uh, destiny, if you will, and so this is where I'm headed and I'm going to the cross. And he accepted that. And he did all of that, as I must remind you, he did all of that for our behalf. Jesus was an innocent man. Jesus was a sinless man. And yet he went to the cross on our behalf and it was there that he would die on the cross and he would be crucified on the cross. He would bleed on the cross where his blood would atone for our sin. And so he became for us the ultimate sacrifice for our life. And so that's what we've been walking through And uh, what we see, starting from the point where Jesus was praying in the garden, as you remember, Judas had already gone out and he had betrayed Jesus. He was getting the authorities and bringing them to Jesus. And so right after his time of prayer, we have an encounter where Judas brings the authorities and they arrest Jesus. Uh, If you remember the the gospel stories, Jesus had told Peter that he would deny him three times and so we begin to see the denials of of Peter uh, denying that he knew Jesus, he didn't wanna be arrested himself And, uh, and so we see all that begin to take place and then Jesus is ultimately delivered to Pilate or to Pontius Pilate who was the Roman governor And it's really interesting, uh, Pilate's response when Jesus is brought before him. I think this is really interesting and this sort of sets the stage for what we're gonna be looking at here this morning. But Pilate says this, he says, what shall I do with the man you call the king of Jews? And so Pilate's asking the Jewish leaders, he's asking the chief priests, he's asking the elders, he's asking the people. Now these are some of the same people. Remember, we talked about this. He's he's asking some of the same people who laid out palms for Jesus to walk into Jerusalem on. They rolled out the red carpet for Jesus and they cried with everything that they had within them, Hosanna in the highest as they welcomed their king And so Pontius Pilate turns to those same people, some of those same people, and he says, what do you want me to do with the one whom you call the king of the Jews? They were shouting, here comes the king when he rode into town. And now he says, you call him the king of the Jews, what do you want me to do with him? And they declare to Pontius Pilate, crucify him. Crucify him. Now if you know anything about the crucifixion, if you've ever studied it, it was a horrible way to die. It goes beyond anything like we would know today as a, uh, as a death penalty. I mean, everything today is, is done in a, a much more humane way, if you can even call death uh, that sort of thing, but, but it's, uh, it's done uh, without a lot of the things that take place when Jesus is crucified, and the crucifixion itself is a horrible way to die, and that's what we're gonna be looking at here today, so I don't wanna get too far ahead of myself But starting in Mark chapter 15, this is where we're gonna be today, Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 22, we read the passage that we're gonna be looking at here together, and so read this with me, if you will. Mark chapter 15, verse 22 uh, and following. So Jesus has just been brought to Pontius Pilate. They have cried out, crucify him, and the word of God says in verse 22, And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, and they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was in the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from that cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And so here we see a passage uh, going through verse 32 that is is really amazing. It's, it's, It's one of those stories that we read about concerning Jesus that really is sort of upsetting to us. I mean, we, we know as believers and followers of Christ Jesus that Jesus is the one whom we love. He's the one who saved us. He's the one who made it possible for us to run out of that grave that we've been singing about for the last couple of weeks. And so we love Jesus, we worship Jesus, we praise Jesus, and we look at this, and, and you can hardly read this story and not have a sense of just compassion and, and sadness for Jesus having to endure all that he endured on the cross. And so we, we look at this and, and it just sort of boggles our mind, but we know that this is a part of the gospel message. We know that this is a part of the work that Jesus had to accomplish. We know that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God, amen? The message of the cross is the power of God unto salvation to us. And so we know that. So despite the fact that it it is hard to read, despite the fact that it's it's hard to even bear to, to read a story like this and to see how Jesus suffered in so many ways, we also understand it to be that which had to happen. And so... Last week, we started by looking at a place, and that's how the passage sort of started. It it started out talking about a place called Gethsemane, okay? And this morning, I want us to look at another place. You see, I, I don't believe it's just by accident that the Word of God identifies these places, one in which Jesus went to pray to prepare for the cross, and then the other being the place where Jesus would be taken and hung On the cross. And so here we see in this passage that the place in which they brought him was a place called, says here in verse 22, Golgotha, which means a place of the skull. And this is not where you would really normally want to go because this is where crucifixions took place. And and, uh, many scholars believe that before Jesus was crucified, the Romans, I mean, this was their form of capital punishment uh, that that most scholars believe that over 40,000 people had been crucified on the cross, the same death that Jesus took before Jesus ever went to the cross. It wasn't unique just to Jesus, but it was the way Jesus was killed. And so here we see we see this place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, which I guess the name is, is pretty fitting if you have a lot of people dying there. But it, it may be hard for us to understand. And this is the part that I think we need to really try to wrap our minds around, despite the fact that it may be a bit hard to understand. But every moment of Jesus' life was ordained to ultimately bring him to the place called Golgotha. Every moment of his life. This is something. This is really where we start from the from the divine conception that we know of and that we read about. Every uh, Christmas Eve, you know, every Christmas holiday, we celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ, and we talk about the the virgin birth. Uh, from I mean, the, the Virgin Mary and how she gave birth to Christ Jesus. We talk about how he was born in a place called Bethlehem, another very significant place in Jesus's life. And we read through the stories, all through the stories, for the next three, uh, 33 years of Jesus's life, he's living his life and he's doing ministry and he's carrying out the things that he was carried out to do. But what we've come to realize is, is that every moment of his life, every village that he walked through, every step that he took leading up even to his arrest, every moment of his life brought him to Golgotha. In a very real way, Jesus was born to die in Golgotha. He had to go to Golgotha. He had to go to the cross. Uh, Now, I think it's interesting because maybe you've heard this before preached uh, many times that uh, you, you heard that Jesus was crucified at Calvary. Calvary is the Latin name for Golgotha and so they're the same place. When, and so if you hear a preacher preaching about Jesus being hung on a cross at Calvary, that's an accurate description. That's not a pastor misleading you. But the scripture here in Mark's gospel refers to it as Golgotha and both of these places being the same synonymous with one another and so here we have this place and this morning I want to start off by really looking at really what is the significance of Golgotha because I think it's interesting for us to to understand let's discover these truths behind it Uh, first thing I want to sort of point out to you here this morning is that Golgotha was a place to fulfill prophecy it was a place to fulfill prophecy. Now, like I've already said, every moment of Jesus's life was leading up to this moment where he would go to this place and he would be hung on a cross. We've talked about how this was Jesus, I mean, this was God's plan from the beginning. And so it is a place to fulfill prophecy. Jesus's arrival was part of God's plan. It was there that he would, he would complete This plan of redemption for us, for those who would come to know Christ, for those who would confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, for those of us who would embrace him as Lord and Savior of our life, for him, his blood was spilled, his blood was spilled for the atonement of our sins, that we could be saved by his power, by his presence, by his blood. And so here we begin to see that it's a place of prophecy. And as we look into the scriptures, we begin to see that all of this was talked about, all of this was talked about well before he ever got to Golgotha. We begin to read through the scriptures and we begin to understand that Jesus came. In other words, Jesus came to this earth. Jesus was born to come and kick wide open the door of salvation for all who would believe. How many of you celebrate that truth for your life this morning, amen? That he kicked wide open the door of salvation for you. And so that's why Jesus came. He came to do this and he had to go to the cross for that to happen. I love what is said in John 3, uh, as, as, as John writes the Gospel of John, Uh, writes in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, he says this. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And so we see here in this passage that Jesus was sent not to condemn the world, but to save the world, and so he came to kick open that door of salvation, and for many of us here today, we understand what that means. We've embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We understand clearly the gospel message that is speaking concerning who Jesus is to us, and we've we've understood that, we've accepted that, we believe in that, and so that becomes a reality for us, but Jesus came to make the gospel of grace a reality, And so Jesus' journey then to Golgotha, this place of the skull, was told about long before he arrived. It was always a part of God's plan. And I love how God used his prophets to speak of this truth well before Jesus even was born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah 52, uh, verse 13, we read this. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted Isaiah fifty three, verse three, he says, He was despised and rejected by men. Speaking of Jesus who would come, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one whom men hid their faces when he was despised, and we esteem him and esteemed him not. Isaiah 53, verses five and six said this. He was pierced for his transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that was brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of of all. And so what we know is is that through Christ as Isaiah was prophesying would come that through Christ, he would take on the sin of the world. In other words, he would take on our iniquity. He would take on our transgressions. He would take on our sin as a man who lived a life sinless, as a man who lived his life to ultimately become the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He took on the sins, thus taking on the wrath of God for our sins when he died on the cross. And so that becomes very important for us to understand that everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus taught, everything that Jesus was proclaiming, everything that Jesus was headed to was headed to the cross. That would be where the work would be accomplished. That would be where the work would take place. And so we see this. You know, one of the things that always amazes me as I read through the scriptures and I look at the different stories, one of the things that always amazes me is that as we, as we continue to read the stories, after Jesus' arrest, after his uh, being condemned to death, after him going to the cross and dying on the cross and being crucified on the cross, and then even after that, when he was uh, buried, and, and after his resurrection, after his ascension into heaven, we see the early church began to form. We see those disciples go out and as they begin to preach the gospel, it was almost as if a light bulb went off. People knew the scripture. They knew the stories. They knew what the prophets of old had talked about concerning the arrival of a king. They had celebrated that in their hearts. They had celebrated it, but somewhere along the way, they, they turned and they, they despised him and they, they, they sent him to the cross and it was there on the cross that he died. But now we begin to see as the, as the disciples go out and they begin to preach the gospel of Christ, they begin to preach the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, as they, as they begin to process everything that's taking place we begin to see many people, in fact, the scriptures tell us thousands of people come to know Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior, seeing Jesus truly for who he is. It all started with Peter's famous sermon that we read in the book of Acts where Peter, I mean, this was just an ordinary man radically transformed by the power and presence of Jesus Christ in his life, right? Just an ordinary guy who God chose to do extraordinary things. How many of you are thankful that you're just an ordinary person, that Jesus has chosen to do something extraordinary in your life? You're thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. And so we see Peter, this guy who denied Jesus three times during this whole time of being arrested. And Peter, he goes out after Jesus had ascended into heaven and he begins to proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it says in the scriptures that 3,000 people gave their life to the Lord 3000 people got saved it goes on and on as the as the disciples continue to preach the gospel in fact in fact, most biblical scholars believe that before the disciples were scattered abroad, before the, they began to face the persecution and had to leave and take the gospel message out into the world, that over 25,000 people had gotten saved just in Jerusalem alone. That was the first megachurch that ever existed, by the way. And so we have this church of people who had come around and centered around and believed in the gospel message of Jesus, that indeed Jesus was who he said he was and they believed this and they confessed this and God changed their life and people's lives were changed immediately by everything that Christ was doing in their life and so we see that Golgotha was a place of uh to fulfill prophecy where all this prophecy all this truth that had been spoken by God's prophets all this prophet was being fulfilled at Golgotha it had to be fulfilled The second thing we begin to notice about this place is that it was a place of horrible death. It was a place of horrible death. It is so important for you to realize that your Savior did indeed die. You do realize that there are people in this world that believe that somehow Jesus remarkably made it through the crucifixion, that he actually lived through it, and that what people were seeing later in in those few days after uh, the crucifixion was actually Jesus who had never died. That's what the critics of Christianity will proclaim today. But what we know is that there's hundreds of witnesses who witnessed the death of Christ Jesus. And so what we need to understand is that Golgotha was not just a place to fulfill prophecy, it was also a place where a horrible death occurred. And this becomes so important for us. In verse 24, God's word says this, very simply, talking about Jesus, and they crucified him. They crucified him. One of the most important events in all of human history, the crucifixion of Christ, and the Bible uses four words to describe this. Have you ever wondered why the gospel writers didn't go into more detail about the crucifixion, about how it resulted in the death of Jesus? Have you ever, I mean, I look here, and Mark just says, and they crucified him. Four simple words. And I believe that the reason is is because everybody knew that crucifixion was death. It was a death sentence. Nobody survived the crucifixion. In fact, the practice of the soldiers were before they ever would take down one whom they had crucified was to come and to ensure that he was death. And if, if they ever did anything wrong concerning the crucifixion, them, they themselves would die a horrible death. And so it was, they were always ensuring that the, the people that were crucified on the cross were, were truly dead, and here, uh, Mark's Gospel says just very simply, they crucified him. Now, as I look at that, I, I often wonder what what went into a crucifixion. How horrible of a death was this? How terrible of a death was this? And you know, we 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 see a lot of people who have studied. The, the, excuse me, the crucifixion, and, 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 and what they write about the crucifixion is, is really one that really describes for us that it was indeed a horrible death. One such writer was a guy named Frederick uh, Farrer, and he once said this. He wrote a book called The Life of Christ, and he once said this about the crucifixion. He said, a death by crucifixion seemed to include all the pain and death can have of the horrible and ghastly dizziness cramps thirst starvation sleeplessness traumatic fever shame publicity of shame long continuance of torment horror of anticipation mortification of intended wounds all intensified just up to the point at which they all they can all Uh, or can be endured at all, but all stopping short of the point which would give the sufferer the relief of unconsciousness. And so what he's saying here is he's saying this, is that as horrible as this was, and as much as the one being crucified was having to endure all of these things, that it was designed by nature to carry them right up to the point of unconsciousness, but not allowing them to be unconscious. Why was that? So that they would suffer at the hands of those who were crucified. They didn't want them to go unconscious. They wanted them to stay away because they wanted them to suffer a horrible death. And so as we look at this, we begin to see that when these four words are described, that they crucified him, it's not just as simple as they killed him. It was that they tortured him on the cross. It was a horrible death. It was a ridiculous death. It was a terrible death. And so the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross is an event that should fill us with reverence and worship. I look at this story, and I'll tell you, when when I begin to think of the reality that I'm the one that deserves the cross, not Jesus, And yet I look at Jesus' life and all that he endured for my behalf. It should lead me to a place of reverence. It should lead me to a place of worship. It should lead me to a place of celebrating what Jesus has done for me. You know, I think so often in our world today, as we talk about Jesus, as we get up here and preach about Jesus and we listen about Jesus, so often we just, we hear those words, the death of Jesus, and we, we take it so for granted what Jesus has truly done for us. I hope that today, when we leave this place, we have a better understanding of everything that Christ endured on our behalf. Why? Because it matters. Just thinking about Jesus' death should lead us to a place of worship. You know, for those of us who are redeemed, the death of Christ should grip our hearts. But for those who don't know Jesus, for those who are living their lives, a life of of brokenness, I, I would only imagine that just considering what Jesus did on the cross would maybe lead them to look heavenwardly, or at least that's my hope, that people would look to Jesus for the hope that they need in their life. And so Golgotha was a place of prophecy, it was a place of horrible death, but finally it was a place of cruelty. You know, what's really interesting to me is that the fact that the crucifixion of Jesus was already horrible enough but when you look at what took place as Jesus hung on the cross, it almost blows our mind. As we look at everything that, that took place, even after Jesus had been nailed to the cross and hung on the cross, I look at this and I begin to realize that th- th- this story makes me even more sad as I continue to read and realize just how mean and cruel people can be. Have you ever noticed that in life? I, I look at this and I, I look at Jesus hanging on the cross and I say, man, is that different than it is today? And then I think about it and I think, no, really it's not, is it? People can be just as mean. People can be just as cruel and oftentimes to us. I look at this passage and I continue reading through this and and, and, and we, we understand that the the, the people as they, as they walked by, as they looked upon Jesus hanging on the cross, some of the things that were taking place were just were just impossible for me to really wrap my mind around. You remember we talked about earlier that Pontius Pilate, he, he went to them and he says, you know, this man, you know, why do you wanna, what do you wanna do with this man? What do you wanna do with this, this king of Jews? And they, they cried out, crucify him, and, and Mark 15, verse four, Pilate asked them, he says, after they cried out, crucify him, he says, what evil has he done? I mean, even Pontius Pilate is looking at Jesus and saying, I don't see anything that he has done. I can't determine that he has done anything wrong, and yet you say, crucify him, and the people shout back again, yes, crucify him and so they take him to the cross they hang him on the cross this horrible death that he is having to endure and yet they continue to mock him as he hangs on the cross and I I find myself just saying who does that and then I realize we do that it's the It's the perfect example of human depravity. It's the very reason that we were saved in the first place. And why do I say that? It's because Jesus changes everything. How many of you believe that this morning? That Jesus changes everything. You see, Jesus is standing there on the cross and and we see this, this extreme cruelty toward an innocent man. We see this extreme cruelty to someone who doesn't deserve it. One writer put it like this. He says, the ugly depths of human depravity was clearly on display at Calvary. Mankind came face to face with his creator. Man did not bow down. Man did not worship. Man did not honor him. When mankind came face to face with the creator on Calvary, man killed his God. human depravity at his worst. And yet Jesus would say to the Father, forgive them. Jesus went to take away the penalty for our sin. He endured the suffering and the mockery and the horrible death of the crucifixion For our sin. But as horrible as the cross was, as horrible as the death of Jesus was, Sunday was coming. Amen? Sunday was coming. And what we know from the truth of God's word is that by his resurrection, Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. He takes a horrible person dead in his trespasses and he washes them clean as snow. By his death, We are saved by grace through our faith in Christ Jesus for who he is and for what he did on the cross. Every time we see a baptism, every time we celebrate a baptism, that's another person who is publicly confessing that they believe in the death burial and the resurrection that Sunday came and that Jesus was raised from the dead, having victory over both sin and death in that person's life. That's what what baptism is. It is a public confession saying that everything that Jesus did on the cross for me, I believe. And everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross for me, I trust in. And everything that Jesus did on the cross, I want to declare to the world that He did that for me, that I could be saved from my sin, and that I could spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. Every time someone is baptized, that is what they are proclaiming to the world. Every single one of them. Most of us in this room probably have already done that. I had a young lady that stopped me in the hall coming in just before the first service says, oh, Pastor David, by the way, right after Easter, I wanna be baptized. I love that because I have seen personally in her life how much Jesus is doing in her life. It is amazing the life change. Jesus changes everything, doesn't he? He changes everything. And so the question that I leave you with here today what does that day at Calvary what does it mean to you what does that day at Calvary mean to you I hope that today it means even more than it did when you walked in here looking at Jesus' cruel and horrible death is not easy by anybody's standards but it's something I feel like we must do if we are to understand what Christ has accomplished for us. Do you look back at Calvary and you say, you know, I I hear the story and it sounds like a good story. I just don't see how it's relevant in my life. Do do you look at this and, and do you wonder, you know, how this story impacts your life? Or do you look at the cross and do you look back at a place called Calvary and find yourself rejoicing? Do you look back at the cross and find yourself celebrating the reality that your sin has been forgiven? I hope that's where you find yourself this morning. In Romans 3, we read this last passage. that says this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law God sent his son to die on the cross whose blood would be spilled for for the atonement of our sin only to be received by faith in Christ Jesus. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. My prayer today, as I get ready to pray and we get ready to close out this service, is this. My prayer today is that every single one of us in this room, and I know that's probably not a realistic hope or prayer. Well, I don't want to say that. God can change us all. My hope and my prayer is that there's not a single one of us today that walks out of here without having faith in who Jesus Christ is and what he has accomplished for you on the cross. If you have any questions about the gospel, if you have any questions about what Jesus wants to do in your life, we are here to answer those questions. As soon as the service is over, you just come see me down here and we'll try our best to answer those questions for you. But my prayer is that nobody, nobody walks out of the room without knowing who Jesus Christ really is and what he has done for you. He came to die that we may live.